college students back in 1992, many milestones came to fruition. On campus, we protested the beating of Rodney King and the verdict which led to the Los Angeles riots. Many of us college students got a chance to participate as a voter in our first presidential election. And later on that year, we were fired up again to view Spike Lee's new joint, Malcolm X. On May 19th, Malcolm X, or later known as Malik El Shabazz, a human rights activist and a Muslim leader, would have been 97 years young if not for his assassination in Harlem back in 1965. Today, myself and EP Michael Womble reflect on the life of Malcolm X, speak with award-winning musician Speech Thomas about his contribution to the soundtrack, and the film that brought Malcolm to many of our collective conscious. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is a special edition of Interludes. Interludes, a pure lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by Interludes Extra Talk on Tuesdays. Subscribe today to our Interludes YouTube channel and never miss an episode. And now, all the way live from the south side of Chicago, give it up for your host, Val The Voice Johnson. the voice johnson and welcome to a special edition of interludes i am with executive producer michael womble and it's may and we decided to honor and look at the life of malcolm x this was such a great topic and great person to acknowledge and recognize he's important to us and michael i just wanted to get your thoughts on Malcolm Little, he was born Malcolm Little, and then became Malcolm X. What What's made him such a larger-than-life personality in our American culture where he should be always remembered? Well, I think that uh, the person that we're talking about, um, El-Hajj Malik Shabazz, um, as he came to be known uh, later in his life uh, after the the pilgrimage to Mecca, that this is a person that is important in American culture, uh, American history, world history, because of the way that he exited the earth more so than the way he entered the earth. The way he came to us on May 19th was as Malcolm Little. Mm -hmm. Malcolm Little was a young boy um, the son of a preacher and a mom. Uh, and in that capacity, he was African American. And he was African American more by, um, by blood and culture than he was by melanin. Uh, he's a light skinned, as they would call it, uh, African American. 
is someone whose life seems to intrigue us uh, in this. We know the day that he died, but we, and we know that he was assassinated, but we still at this point do not know who assassinated him and who took him away from us. In fact, uh, most recently, Barry Check, who's the co-founder of the Innocence, Innocence Project, said this, the assassination of Malcolm X was a historic event that demanded a scrupulous investigation and prosecution, but instead produced one of the most blatant miscarriages of justice that I have ever seen. Late last year, Val, mm -hmm. the two men who had been convicted and put into prison uh, who were said to be responsible for the assassination of Malcolm X were finally and justly released. That means that officially we do not know who was responsible for this man's death. And had he lived, he surely would have transformed uh, life in America and life likely across the world in featuring those people of the African diaspora. So it was a, a tremendous loss that's been reflected in popular culture, has been reflected in literature and music, as well as uh, the 1992 film Spike Lee's Malcolm X, um, all of which we'll get to talk to, talk about and reflect on today. So I'm really excited to do that. Yeah. The one thing that I will say, growing up, other, I'd like to say, civil rights leaders were highlighted and taught in grammar schools. I went to a public, public school here in Chicago, and... I didn't get exposed to Malcolm X until high school, college. My first intersection with Malcolm X and learning about him was the autobiography of Malcolm X as told by Alex Haley. And I remember reading that in my senior year in high school and then a more deep dive when I got to college. And usually Malcolm is always compared to Martin. One thing that I will call out, Malcolm was born in Omaha, where a lot of my family members are. And you just mentioned that Malcolm's father was a minister, but he was also a follower of Marcus Garvey. And I wanna say in many parts of, of the United States in the 1920s, people doing and having a black Wall Street where you actively participated in the supporting other black businesses and, and being a, a supported community outside of anyone else. So what was your first exposure and to learning about who Malcolm X was and how his life was important? That's, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think some of my first kind of exposure to Malcolm X came, you know, I'm not sure what came first. First, I, I guess first was, I'm going to credit the CTA for this. CTA? Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I think that the first time I really got exposed to Malcolm X, I was on 
going back and forth from home to high school. And to do that, I had to um, take a bus and that bus took me past uh, 79th Street, one of 79th and Halsley. And right, not too far away from there is a, um, is one of the uh, mosques, one of the mosques of the uh, Nation of Islam. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would hear kind of this speech going, just like, you know, from a speaker. You'd hear it outside and you'd be waiting for your bus. And you could hear it and you would get these kind of pamphlets and all this information from, from people getting on and off and just in transit. And I think that was one of the first times I heard the name Malcolm X. Even to this day, I wouldn't dare kind of go over the uh, the life of Malcolm X to tell you that I'm an authority of it. If you really want to know who Malcolm X was, the go-to place as it's been for the last, oh, what, 60, 70 years, Val, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is still the autobiography of Malcolm X <laughs> as told to Alex Haley. Right. That's the place where if you want to start learning about this person, I would say go there before you even dare to read articles or especially before you would see uh, uh, Spike Lee's uh, seminal movie. The third interview that I did for Playboy, I believe it was third or maybe the fourth, was of Malcolm X at a time when Malcolm was just coming into major prominence in the national periodicals, and newspapers. When an interview of him appeared, among its readers was a book publisher who asked Malcolm if he would be willing to tell his life in book-length detail. Malcolm was hesitant at first, but he finally agreed that he would. And then, because I believe Malcolm associated me as the black writer who probably was affiliated more with major national magazine stories, he asked me if I would be willing to work with him on this book. I was pleased, honored, flattered to do so. And I would spend the next two years with Malcolm X, the first year interviewing him very exhaustively, the second year taking all that interview material, putting it out first in a very exacting chronology, breaking it up into what seemed to be logical chapter sections, and then studying each of those sections very intensively, and then writing vicariously first person as if I were he, a manuscript which hopefully would sound as if Malcolm had just sat down across a table and was trying to tell a reader his life as best he could recall it from earliest days. Yeah, and now that you mention that, the film Malcolm X was released as as of late this year. It'll be 30 years since its release. Yes. And I'm... That's crazy. I'm I'm trying to wrap my brain around this. I was telling this to somebody else, and I'm like, has it been 30 years? Yes, it has. It's been 30 years. And I think... amazing. And I think the... Of all of the brilliant performances, um, uh, Delroy Lindo. Yes. uh, And uh, Angela Bassett. Mm -hmm. uh, It's it's just... It's kind of mind-boggling to me. The... One thing that stands out and makes me still tear up to this day, and he was living still at the time, at the very end, you know, Spike likes to do a long ending. It's like, 
Yes, yes, quite, doesn't do doesn't end immediately, but he does like a long. Spike cut Lee, as I call him. Spike cut, cut, cut it, man, cut it. No, he he doesn't do it. Cut it, cut it, please. The 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 way Malcolm X ended reminded me very much of my other favorite from Spike, which is School Days. I love the way School Days ends, but I'm thinking it's a little long, but I get it. I really get it. A little long. A little long. Yes, I'm, I'm being very gracious when I say that, but to have, uh. Ozzy Davis. Kind Ozzy of, gives the eulogy in the he movie. He gives the eulogy, right? He gives the eulogy in the movie. Did in real life, the same as he did in real for, life for Malcolm X's for, funeral. And I the, thought that was mo that was most important to hear Ozzy and to uh, and and what I love is when you had Denzel portraying him almost the entire three no, all three hours, but then to be able to see the footage and to see actual photos and pictures of Malcolm. It, 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 it tied you to the story. And then, you know, at the end of the eulogy, I don't think he does the full eulogy. He does, the, I think it's a part of the eulogy. It's not the full eulogy. Then you have children in an American school and they stand up and say, I'm Malcolm X, I'm Malcolm X. And then the accent changes to a South African accent. And you see these beautiful African children stand up and say, I'm Malcolm X, and I'm like, then you see <laughs> Nelson Mandela, who, why am I getting emotional right now thinking about that, that scene, Michael? That's ridiculous. Today, May 19th, we celebrate Malcolm X's birthday because he was a great, great Afro-American. Malcolm X is you. All of you. And you are Malcolm X. I'm 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 Malcolm X. I am 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 Malcolm X. As Brother Malcolm said, we declare our right on this earth to be a man, to be a human being to be given the rights of a human being, to be respected as a human being in this society, on this earth, in this day, which we intended to bring into existence. By any means. No, it, it's not. It, it was moving and you're thinking that, you know, since that movie came out, um, all of the people that we have lost that were transformative in the world, Malcolm X certainly had an influence on Nelson Mandela and his fight against apartheid exactly. in South Africa. And what you also have to remember is this, and I got to tell you about it, it's amazing to me. Um, I had some of my students reading the Young Readers uh, edition of Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Yes, that's Trevor a great Noah, one. Trevor the, Noah, the, the host of The Daily Show, comedian, uh, celebrity in his own right, um, and someone who was born and raised in apartheid South Africa. Right. And having to kind of try to explain to these young people that this is not something from the 50s or the 60s or something that your, you know, your 
great-grandparents dealt with. This is something that is contemporary to your parents. You know, in some cases, their grandparents, that this is pretty recent, that a government was based on this type of racial segregation mm -hmm. uh, that was codified and made legal to the point that we had to, you know, as Americans, as African-Americans, as people of conscience, speak out against it. And finally, it changed. But for so many years, this man was in jail fighting for human rights the same way that Malcolm X fought for human rights. And I make that, I make that differentiation here. Uh, civil rights has to do with the law. And yes, Malcolm X wanted to change laws. Uh, certainly Nelson Mandela wanted to change the laws of the government of South Africa at that time, which had to do with apartheid. But what they were really upset about was that these systems, the government and the people who either were in charge of them or incidentally funded them through uh, giving money to that government, supporting that government, and the U.S. did that for too long, we were violating human rights. He was denying people the opportunity to be human through your system. And this is what Nelson Mandela, this is why in the end, Mandela won. This is why in the end, the civil rights movement ultimately won major victories in this country. Because you can't, you can only do that for so long. Right. To imprison someone else, because in imprisoning them, you're putting yourself, as, as paraphrase, uh, you put you're putting yourself in that same jail, right. right? Right. If you're making yourself as jailer, you're putting yourself in jail too. There's no reason to do that. Um, so I, I understand it. I mean, I cried. I remember sitting in the in the theater crying mm -hmm. uh, toward the end, even though Spike should have cut that movie to long. <laughs> it was at three hours and twenty three minutes. I, I know that because I recently looked it up. I was thinking about showing it to. Um, to some students and I'm like, wow, that's still a big You would you would you would have to chop it up. And I did I ended up when I was teaching high school, I remember showing it, but I showed it in three parts. I literally broke it up in three or four different parts. Yeah. One day, two day or something. Mm -hmm. But it's still it's it's you know, and, and I understand why it's so long because it's such a complicated story and you don't want to take anything away. From it, just like with the autobiography and just like his actual life. Right. Like what what do you take away? Do you take away his criminality? You you need that because to understand it, the level and the depth of his redemption, mm -hmm. you need to understand where he came from, how low he was at that point in his life, that he was in prison. He was lost. There was no one. He felt loved him. There was nothing that he felt, you know, no connection to the world until, until he felt that he heard the voice of God. And that changed him. That's what right. changed him. You know? And I want to now kind of focus now on the film because if you were someone who... I think in 92, we were dealing with the Los Angeles riots. Mm -hmm. We dealt with 
the the dismissal of charges to the officers that beat Rodney King. And then there was other things that were happening in that year. And I remember thinking this film felt like a triumph. Other notable performances I want to call out is Al Freeman Jr. Uh, a lot of people know him in the soap opera world and uh, from One Life to Live, but he mm. portrayed Elijah Muhammad with such quiet brilliance. Uh, Albert Hall, Teresa Randall, this was one of her first films out the gate. Yes. Yes. Uh, and Lynetta McGee, who portrays mom. Malcolm's mom, mm. and Tommy Hollis, who portrays Earl Little. I'm a man! And you see him standing outside of his burning home. Yes. But the, the anchor of this film is Denzel. And I'll go back. Denzel had won, been nominated for a couple of awards, but then was nominated for Best Actor. And I think that was, the, that was a singular award that was won for, uh, that was that was nominated for for the Oscar. However, it did win Best Film for the NAACP Image Awards, uh, the New York uh, New York Film Critic Choice Awards. It he won a lot of awards in that, and I think he was up against who ended up winning in that year. Uh, a scent of a woman went to Al Pacino, and one thing that I wanted to, to questionable, highly <laughs> questionable, <laughs> highly questionable. But a lot of people were thinking, a lot of people were thinking that. A lot of people were thinking that Al Pacino should have won for earlier work, and he won for this. And and this is one of this is one of uh, this is one of Denzel's works where many of us have debated quietly. And and, and <laughs> this was one of the ones he was cheated out of. <laughs> and um, I'll um, I'll go ahead and quote this: Martin Scor Martin Scorsese said about Mal uh, said about Washington's performance was one of the best in American movies phenomenal and he felt like it was a snub and definitely Lee felt like it was a sub and he actually took an entire uh, Netflix show he she's got to have it <laughs> in the comments of his characters kind of talk about how Denzel was cheated out of out of the awards, and I was thinking, wow, <laughs> you, you can you can create art to discuss how you felt like you've been cheated, but it to handle <laughs> to handle the the ever changing personality and persona of of from Malcolm Little to Malcolm X to uh -huh. so thank you to 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 actually channel all of that and to and to put that on screen. I, I, I'm, I'm looking at Denzel thinking, I don't see him. He literally disappeared into the role where you saw Malcolm, you didn't see Denzel. That's how I felt. The problem that confronts our people today wouldn't even exist. That's right. Now we ain't Americans, huh? So I have to stand here today as what I was when I was born, a black man. Well, the, the amazing part about it now is that you probably wouldn't have an actor do, and the, the, the choice that Spike Lee makes in that movie now, especially with the technology that we have mm -hmm. today, 
you would probably not have an actor make or a director make that choice again. Here's the thing. Denzel Washington looks nothing like Malcolm X. Nope. They resemble, they don't resemble each other in any way. <laughs> I, they're both male and they're both considered in our country to be African-American. That's it. Mm -hmm. The end of story. So here, today, Val, can't you imagine some someone give Spike Lee like a Netflix budget or, you know, Peacock Universal budget? He gets to have, gets to use computers and prosthetics and do all sorts of things. You know, now in the era that we have of deep fakes, oh, you know, know, you could make him look exactly like like Malcolm X if you wanted to. But the I but the the fact that Denzel doesn't look like him just takes on his persona, his cadence when he speaks, his yeah. mannerisms mm -hmm. captures this person where I know for a fact there are generations of people that have to be told like, yeah, that yeah, he played Malcolm X, but that was a that is what Malcolm X actually looks like. It's like, really? Like, yeah, for real. Yes. They, it's, it's not Denzel. For, Denzel's an actor. This is a different thing. You know? And that that's the magic. That's the that's the impressive part of this. I mean, he becomes he becomes Malcolm X. Yeah. Yeah. And we the had other, a um, I'm sorry. The, the other thing I think that we, I want to make sure we get in. Uh, okay. I'm, we're going to get to it. Okay. But this movie wasn't a movie. It was a movement. The, the, the lead up to Malcolm X is probably the, the biggest rollout of a movie that I can remember. Mm. And, and I, I love movies. I've been watching them all my life, you know. <laughs> But as far as promotion, and I'm talking about bigger than anything, any of the Marvel movies that have come, you know, later, bigger than any of the Avatar movies or any of this stuff, the promotion that led up to Malcolm X coming out was a cultural phenomenon. You had people, uh, African-Americans, people of all different um, backgrounds. You got people of different backgrounds connected to, to music, to entertainment, to education. And all of a sudden, it started wearing X's. Do you remember this? I remember that, yeah. That was a big deal. The X hat was a status symbol. Oh my it's gosh. Like, you knew or you didn't know. People would have these things, you know? Uh, these Malcolm X uh, medallions, you know? Yeah, that became very popular. Otherwise. Mm. And it was just the fact that it's like, if you know, you know. And if mm -hmm. you didn't, you did not. And it wasn't Universal Pictures or Warner or anybody that was connected with the film necessarily marketing. This was like Spike Lee kind of almost guerrilla marketing. You would see, you know, people that never said anything about anything. Like Michael Jordan suddenly stick on a, a X hat. A Malcolm X hat, you know, athletes, entertainers. This was like a big deal. And a lot of getting made. And I think a lot of those people contributed to this film being made 
and also the budget for this was estimated at 33 million and it's opening weekend on November 22nd 1992 it made about 9.8 million uh, and then its worldwide gross was hit at around 48 million and in most cultures you gotta and how they operate in Hollywood you need to make back your budget within the first week or two weeks of, of the film but I think because of the type of film this was and the filmmaker it was more important to get the word out about this and then just kind of Spike did not have that studio or whatever kind of saying you know we need you need to hurry up make this money back or whatever he had it finance and he had help from of I think yeah Michael Jordan and it's like several others I think many of the people show up in the end credits of of the film and one of the songs there were two or three songs that came at the end of the film uh, we had spoken to last year speech Thomas of Arrested Development and he let us know what he thought and how it was to work on the song as well as shooting the Revolution. video Revolution the, the shooting the video in Brooklyn in 92 93 to promote the soundtrack here it is Revolution that's I guess one of my favorites that you've done for a soundtrack. How was it working with Spike Lee and when you all shot the the the, the music video for that uh, that song? Uh, I lived in Brooklyn for 18 years and just kind of walking around and just feeling the vibe. Uh, you've described your music as life music. How was that whole experience working with Spike and creating that song for that soundtrack for Malcolm X? I had always been a huge Spike Lee fan. He moved, his movies have moved me like very little others have in the black world of film. And so I'd always been hoping to work with him. I tried to reach out to him numerous times as just a nobody, you know, Arrested Development wasn't big or anything and trying to get on his films with our music, Arrested Development's music, but we weren't famous or, or popular. So um, never got a chance to do that. When he reached out to me, um, we were in New York at a show with the last poets and he came backstage and I was so happy, excited to meet him. Long story short, he asked us to do the Malcolm X soundtrack and getting in the studio with him first was just awesome because he was so involved. Like he was part of the voices of revolution. He was part of the, he got on the mic himself and was screaming along with us. He's very involved with the art that he does, and I love that. Then secondarily, the day of the video shoot in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. it was my first time seeing such a consummate professional. The excellence of Spike Lee was so moving to me. He had numerous film crews, and I mean big production value, where we had 500 people marching throughout Brooklyn on one scene. Then we had a whole nother school that we did a scene in, and then we were on a block for another scene. My point is, is that all of those scenes were already preset, pre-fabbed um, out, meaning the stylist, the makeup, all of that was done for 500 extras, um, the dance crews, the, the signs, everything was already done. We did that entire video in seven hours. In my entire career, I never worked with such a professional. And I also never had such a quick video shoot. Usually our videos would take two days. 
This was seven hours with 500 extras, three locations, all the lighting, all the big production. So I was extremely moved to be able to work with Spike. Uh, he was a great experience to work with. Yeah. Malcolm X, I, I'll let you close us out with your final thoughts on, on him. I think that it's, it's very important for us, you know, now that we've moved away from a movie about this uh, magnificent person who went through a lot of transformation in his life, um, not someone to be stuck or pigeonholed into one period, someone that the, at the end of his life was reaching out to people uh, throughout the African diaspora and also the people of different uh, ethnicities. He was trying to build a, a coalition of people who were devoted to promoting human rights. I mean, to see him solely as this kind of, of proponent of segregation, uh, just a negative voice against um, what white people have done in the world is short change. Um, the transformative beauty of El Hajj Malik Shabazz. And I hope that as time goes on each May 19th, we remember the complete person, um, what he did, what he said, and ultimately what he was, the direction that he was headed in. And in that way, we can truly kind of honor his, his memory and in some ways do as the director of the autobiography film ask us to do and that's to remember to do the right thing <laughs> learning learn about malcolm x and definitely take your children if you get a chance washington dc the national museum of african-american Amer american history and culture has a wonderful display on malcolm x and definitely read the Alex Haley autobiography and see Malcolm X, filmed by Spike Lee. I'm Val The Voice Johnson, and this is Interludes. To watch a clip from this week's episode honoring Malcolm X, please visit our Interludes YouTube channel. Have you seen it? It's the weekly chat with EP Michael Womble, Coach Tony, and Val The Voice Johnson. Interludes Extra presents Talk on Tuesdays. Join us and other special guests as we break down the latest topics surrounding music, movies, and sports every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Eastern, live in the chat on our Interludes YouTube channel. Interludes, original concept by Valerie Johnson, written by Michael Womble, produced by Michael Womble and Valerie Johnson, original intro and outro music produced by Kendall Nesbitt. Interludes, a pure Lighthouse production. This episode is brought to you by Interludes Extra Talk on Tuesdays, where we highlight people of color in spaces of television and film. To subscribe to our YouTube channel, or join our Interludes Facebook group, visit the website, link 
tr.ee forward slash Pure Light Media.